Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. Time. The indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past, present and future regarded as a whole. It's a clunky definition and there's two main theories for time, the A theory and B theory of time. I don't exactly understand it myself, but generally the A theory is that time has actual properties and the passage of time consists of successive possession of different properties, where B theory, there's actually no specific A properties. And in other words, time is more conceptual and doesn't really pass. Now, if there are any guys out there that are smarter than me, pull me up on that definition. But this podcast will focus on what we do with the time that we have. Because face it, we don't choose to be born, but we do choose what we do with our lives. And simply by being strategic and planning, we're able to control the direction of our life. We have to understand primarily that time is incredibly scarce. And as adults, in average, this is worldwide, so in the less fortunate countries, it's much less than in the West, it's much higher. But generally speaking, the, the age of a lifespan is around 71 and a half years old. And if you break that down, that's 26,097 days. And each one's ticking away slowly. And as I said, if we're strategic and we plan, then we can control so many aspects. And that includes our career. We can simply look at someone who has fulfilled a role that we like and we can say, well, okay, they, they went to college, they did their exams, they passed, they, they had this mindset as they went through their interviews, they went through this career pathway and they ended up there. And we can sort of reverse engineer to work out how they got there. Through health, we can realise that the healthiest people out there generally eat good, exercise, we can take away what they do and we can make it so that when we're in our older age, perhaps we'll have more than the 71 and a half years. In hobbies, it's imperative to realize that there are some people with amazing abilities and talents that perhaps the normal human will not be able to achieve. But that being said, almost every single person can drastically improve their performance simply just by focusing on their hobbies and seeing how other people have excelled in it. And this is where we look to role models. And in NLP, we use that modeling process, which we turned about. Now, this is tricky because based on everything that I said, it's kind of tangible things. And we look at accomplishments primarily, and we look at the best business people, the best speakers, authors, athletes, all these people. It's based on a false economy. Look, there's wonderful pride and a sense of accomplishment. But once you've achieved any of those areas, say you became a, a champion in the field that you've been trying for years, you wake up the next day and you've still got the same 24 hours. What are you going to do with it? So I found that it's much more stronger and much more advantageous to look at life and look at modeling in the terms of characteristics and character. Because this seems to be the field where 
it just makes so much difference. There is the most famous, richest, wealthiest, smartest, greatest ruler or king that ever lived. And regardless of your theological convictions, he is in the Old Testament. His name is Solomon. And King Solomon is said to have had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Not a joke, 700 wives. And again, he was beyond rich, beyond successful, beyond smart. It's said that he was the smartest person that ever lived. And he went through his whole life and towards the end of his life, after having all of these wonderful, amazing things, he said that he lives in nothing but despair. So all of the trophies, all of the, the trimmings, all of the good things, and that includes intellect, didn't cut it. It seems that we have to find a meaning that is deeper. And then when we, we find our purpose and we pursue it, it generally leads to great things. But when you do it, a couple of things. Firstly, make sure it's yours and not others. Secondly, make sure that you can measure the progress as you move towards it. And then finally, make sure it's beyond yourself. I mean, even Arnold Schwarzenegger, the great bodybuilder, he spent ages in the gym building up his body to look amazing and be egotistical, right? Well, he did, but he also inspired generations after him of people who just looked up to him and were in awe that somebody could transform their, their lives and their body just through sheer determination weightlifting, and maybe drugs, I don't know, I don't look into that, but you get it. So the thing is, be strategic, and this is where you regain so much more control over your life. You observe others in respect to your desires and goals and see how they've accomplished it, and then you count the days. You realise that you've only got so much time left. And only once you've done all of that planning part, then you make the days count by following your path. Afterwards, you have to periodically check in, evaluate, check for corrections, ensure that what you're doing is meaningful and it's actually worth pursuing. And secondly, it's also the time to use some form of personal development or self-development where once a week or once a month or over a certain period of time, you go back and you do some of those confidence exercises, you use some NLP tools, maybe use the Alpha Dude system, whatever it is, you go through it and just make sure that the groove is all nice and set. And then you simply repeat. So if you're 30 years old, right now you have around 15,000 days left, statistically speaking. 15,000 days, and they're moving quickly. You have to look at the hours of work that you've got left and make them count. That's about maybe 60,000 hours approximately. The hours of sleep, make sure it's comfortable. Make it worth it. If you sleep eight hours a night, it's about 65,000 hours. And hours of free time, well, you can work that one out yourself, but just make sure that you make it meaningful. But most of all, we're talking about life and trying to optimise it, but life is not all a timetable. Routine will be the key to accomplishing great things, 
but be sure to build downtime and pleasure into the routine or else you may wake up and be incredibly successful yet unfulfilled. And this is a key to being miserable. And as always, make sure you follow your deepest meaning. Last tips is that if you can, check out the guys that look at reducing their sleep. I know that Jocko Willink and his crew try and get down to, I don't know, I think five or six hours of sleep. They wake up at 4.30 in the morning. There's a whole heap of people that go on saying they get up at 4.30 and crush the day, but I'll let you check that out. Personally, I've tried to get up earlier and earlier myself, and I'm experiencing a little bit of pushback on that. So just do what's right for you. Make the hours count. So if you get up early and you do crush the day, make sure you do it. But don't wake up super early like I've tried to. I spent, I spent over a year doing this once. I woke up super early and I'd get that hour of exercise and do a whole heap of things and then spend the rest of the day pretty unproductive because it just washed me out. So everyone's got their own sleeping arrangements. Just sort yours out. And as I'm recording, tonight is one of my famous weekly steak nights and I just worked out that I've only got about 1,500 left, so I'm going to make this one count. Hope your day counts too. Take care. Bye. If you are aged over 35, based on worldwide statistics, you have already finished your youngest years and you have entered the second half of your life, yet anything can happen. If you're lucky, you might make some big numbers like my granddad did, who died just last year. After his death, I started to play piano again, and as I learnt the songs he used to play to me, I connect to his memory at a deep level. And as you know, my best mate, Big Al, died just recently, not yet making 40 years old. And as I progress with uh, jiu-jitsu, I continue to train and I refine each position, choke or lock. I remember that he went through exactly the same thing too, him being a black belt in the art. And I connect with his memory so deeply as well. I have a wonderful guest today who has been through so many hardships, including losing her husband, and after listening to her story, I was left with only two words to describe her journey, living inspiration. As you listen to her story, notice how she never claims victimhood, albeit she would have a major claim to the title, she overcomes. Here's Tanya. Hi everyone, I'm Tanya Marie Figueres-Kreisinger, but let's be honest, that's a mouthful, so I go by Tanya MFK. I'm a certified small business consultant, life strategy coach, action taker, and make it happener. And today I'm going to share with how having my whole life fall apart and taking off to China taught me how to create my best life. So I grew up poor, like living in cars and homeless shelters poor. Needless to say, my young life was rough. I went to 13 different elementary schools, always moving and changing depending on who offered a roof over our heads. My mom had been clean for years worked hard, but somehow was never able to get on her feet, even with the best of intentions. And I was baffled at how someone could go to work, get paid, and then not have money. Go figure. When I turned 12, I didn't ask for the latest Pearl Jam or Boys to Men album. I asked for a savings account. I did really good in school. I knew college wasn't an option. 
So I approached it like a glutton at a buffet, getting as much free education as I could before it was gone. I left home at 15 and continued to go to school, only ditching so I could work part-time. I met my future husband at age 17, and I was married with a career by age 21. My dream life was creating a future of stability and ability. Ability to pay the bills, afford groceries, and have a roof over my head. Big ambitions, right? But for my life, it was, and I was scared shitless to not make it happen. So much that I spent every waking moment focused on marking things off a to-do list. I was in a rush to get it all done, so one day I could finally get to the life that was going to make me happy. Most of my days were spent stressed and overwhelmed with trying to do life right, check everything on my list, and it was so overwhelming that I rarely did anything fun or enjoyed the moment. Not the usual life for a 21-year-old. My husband was the total opposite. He had a really tough upbringing, full of abuse, and yet he laughed, loved, and joked every day, convincing me often to relax and watch the Shaolin Wheel of Life movie, getting lost in the amazing abilities of these kung fu monks. He let things slide off his back, worrying about next to nothing, including getting the laundry done. Seriously, when I was first dating him, I did 17 loads of laundry to clean up his apartment. And even in his happy-go-lucky approach to life, he lovingly put up with my crazy daily list that I faxed him each day. Yes, faxing. That tells you how old I am. Explaining to him what we had to do when we got home after work. And when I say crazy, guys, I mean, I had it listed minute by minute. It included bathroom breaks, which, by the way, were only three minutes. I was so determined to hurry up and get the hard part of life out of the way so we could finally arrive at our destination and enjoy it. After years of working 16-hour days, getting out of shape, living unhealthy, on my 25th birthday in 2005, my husband was diagnosed with stage 4 cholangiocarcinoma. The reason you haven't heard of that type of cancer is because it's extremely rare and doctors know little to nothing about it. And in case you don't know, with cancer, stage four is the last stage. John really set the tone for how the rest of us would deal with this diagnosis. He said, if this is what we're doing now, then this is what we're doing. He had the best attitude, love, zeal, and humor, even while he was deteriorating. He helped plan his own funeral and expressed how grateful he was to be able to have time to say goodbye to everyone. And three months later, he was gone. After his death is when I really began to come to terms with the fact that I had just been fighting so long to be in control. And in that battle, I had given everything up about enjoying the life I had. I had passed on so much precious time that I could have spent with him when he was here and he was well. I was so set on not ending up like my parents or repeating my childhood that I tried to control every aspect of my life with achievements and to-do lists. And if there's anything that teaches you you don't have any control, it's death. But I did realize, while I can't control anything, I do have power. I have the power to make this experience what I want it to be. It can be a tragedy, I could be a victim, or it could be a new chance, an inspiration, a motivation. I realized that my goal of not ending up like my parents, while noble in some respects, was really just fear-based. It wasn't a conscious choice of what do I want my life to look like or who do I want to be? It was more of a, holy crap, let's make sure I avoid this trap. 
And let's be honest, avoiding screwing up is not the most inspiriting life plan. Before my husband got sick, we had some plans to go to Europe with some friends. We didn't have tickets, it wasn't real yet, but we had talked about it. And I'm American, so traveling to Europe is one of those dream vacations. Something poor girls like me certainly don't really think we can do. Not even two weeks after John was gone, my friend called and said, I know this might be the worst time, but we're still gonna go to Europe if you wanna go. And my immediate thought was, of course, no way. I just lost my husband. I have no job, no place of my own, no idea what I'm doing with my life. And thankfully, she responded with, couldn't this then be the best time? You have no job to worry about, no rent to pay, and no idea what you're going to do with your life. And with that, I walked away. I walked away from this plan of putting the pieces together to get back on track and instead spent the last money I had in the bank to go to Europe. And boy, did that open Pandora's box of possibility. If I could be a person that vacations in Europe, who else could I be? What else could I do? The exhilaration of realizing I could truly choose the life I want with just a clear desire and a plan was eye-opening. And after that, I just consumed life. I took every opportunity, tried every option, and I sold bags at festivals, dabbled in photography, and even sold my first prints to Fat Beats in LA. I traveled to Peru, Panama, Cancun, all over the US. I somehow ended up managing a design firm and then worked in music and managed a hip hop artist. I took a job marketing and worked with some of the biggest companies in the world and then ended up at the C-level suite for a startup company working with a former Clippers basketball star. I had some fun rides, about 10 years of them, and my life looked really good on paper. I had the house, the car, the friends, the career, but somehow I was still spending most of my time stressed and, let's be honest, partying a little too much. I realized it had been a while since I asked myself, what kind of life do I want and who do I want to be? Well, the hip hop artist that I worked with was on a tour in China and he had tried to convince me often to come visit. And I just kept telling him China wasn't at the top of my list. And if I did go there, the only thing I really wanted to see was the Shaolin temple. And then there was the phone call. He said, so I found this program that lets foreigners, including women, train at the Shaolin Temple. It looks awesome. I'll send you the link. And it did look awesome. It painted the picture of every romanticized vision of China you could think of. The monks in orange and gray robes, the mist, the temples, weapons, lakes, flowers, people speaking in delayed dub English. Okay, maybe not the last one. But seriously, what was I going to do? Leave everything to train Kung Fu in China? Yes. That's exactly what I was going to do. So after encouragement from my mentor and CEO of the company and to the surprise of every single one of my friends, I packed up my life into a storage unit in Long Beach, California and left to study Kung Fu at the Shaolin Temple in China. What was I doing? I didn't really know. I wasn't a Kung Fu enthusiast, but I believed that the monk life could be a reset for me, give me some clarification of what I wanted in life. And off I went. My first day of training, we had to punch trees to condition our hands. 
It was a completely mind-bending experience to do something you know would hurt in order to prepare yourself to endure more pain. Welcome to Shaolin Training. As a gal that had a hard time getting up at 9 a.m., here I was now getting up at 4.30. By 10 a.m., I had done qigong, tai chi, had breakfast, three hours of training, played basketball. I was on fire. I was clear. I was fresh. I was focused. And for the first time, I wasn't in competition with those around me. Instead, it was with myself. I became fixated on getting better and better at the training I was assigned, practicing in my off time and using all I had to make sure that this kick was in proper form and that punch was powerful and that jump was just right. I remember once we were instructed to lift our foot to the back of our heads. And with a little stretching, I was able to do it. I was already pretty flexible and it was a little easy for me. And I figured, huh, I got this. Mission accomplished. Not so. My shifa looked at me and said, great. Now reach your foot to your forehead. I was like, Phew, all right. So I worked on that, achieved that. And I was like, here, I got it now. It's like, hmm, very nice. Now to your nose. It's like, what? Jeez. All right. So I worked on that for the next you know, couple weeks, stretching, working, getting my foot to my nose. Figured this is finally has got to be it, right? Nope. He said, okay, good. Now to your mouth. I was literally training to put my foot in my mouth. And here's the thing. It didn't matter what, how far I could go. It, it didn't matter. There wasn't an end. It was about what next. And it didn't matter that I was at a, a different level than everyone else. It didn't make me a winner. The competition wasn't with them. It was with what I could achieve what I could push myself to do, how to, I could find out what I was truly capable of. Martial arts are a mix of internal and external Kung Fu. You cannot have one without the other. It's a mental game and a physical game. And the catch is that you never really graduate. You just move on to the next level. You dive deeper, you uncover more. Perfection doesn't exist, only the next target. Now, we've all heard that cheesy saying, life is a journey, not a destination. And then we go about our business, working hard to some magical day in the future when it will all be better. We somehow end up following the I'll be happy when formula and curse the life that we're living right now. But the truth is, all you have is now. Someday doesn't exist and the future isn't promised to you. Your only competition is with yourself to live your best life now, to go beyond all you thought you were capable of for the sake of you being the most awesome you, nothing else. Now, not everyone is as lucky as me to have their life fall apart through tragedy. But if we can make these significant changes in our life during sorrow and pain, then how much more are we capable of in the midst of happiness and joy? or even mediocrity. We don't get asked often, if at all, hey, what life do you want? Who do you want to be? This just isn't a question asked at cocktail parties or when we get together with our friends. If anything, most of our conversations are of the past. What have you been up to? How's work? What's up with Gina from high school? She got fat. Did you see Joe that, you know, he got married? And if by chance you have some existential thinking friends or a bunch of stoners around you, then maybe you do get asked. I know what that's like. I worked in music. <laughs> but it's a fleeting moment, something we add to our someday list to perhaps think about. Rarely do we really come back and contemplate it. 
let alone take it a step further and, and write out our answer. Yet this is the most important homework we have, to live our life on purpose. And by purpose, I don't mean this magical thing you're supposed to uncover that gives you a reason for living. I'm not talking about that. I don't even believe in that. I believe our purpose is to live on purpose, to do it intentionally, to be an active participant of creating the life you want to live. I have set up my life now to make this a regular assignment that I assess every year, asking myself, who do I want to be this year? What do I want my life to look like? And I write it down on paper, like it's a real assignment. And then I create a real plan from it and say, well, how do I make this happen? I live my life every day engaging on the things I love and that are important to me and align with my goals. Not because I live some sort of magical privileged life, because I've made a clear conscious choice to say, these are the things I'm going to do. And this is the life I want to live. I push myself to live my best life that's set up on my terms. And I know those terms because I took the time to think about them and create them. So I encourage you all to live a life by design and not by default. It's not enough to ask the question. You need to answer it. And then once you have the answer, maybe take it a step further and go, what is, what would be the first step? That's all, just the first one. And then once you know what that first step is, maybe take the first step and see what changes in your life with just that one simple step. And if you like it, then repeat this process over and over until bam, you're living your best life designed by you. So I get excited and emphatic about this. Um, I could say so much more guys, but we've come to our end. I hope this has been encouraging and perhaps even inspiring and motivating for some of you. I am Tanya MFK. I'm a business consultant, life strategy coach. I teach people how to create a life and business that they love through real everyday processes and methods, not just conceptual, happy, fun quotes. We do the real work. I travel the world full-time with my husband, who was actually my Kung Fu partner in China and now my life partner, as well as our three-year-old son. My team and I hold workshops, retreats, and offer private coaching and courses globally. You can learn more on my website at tanyamfk.com or find me on social media at tanyamfk. And if anyone is feeling the urge to train in China, I am honored to mention that I now work with the temple as my client and I'm happy to direct you to shaolintemple.com. And if you decide to take it a step further, then make sure to mention on that contact form that Tanya sent you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com.